Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Everybody, to our sermon series that we are busy with, Intelligent Little Sinners, a biblical approach to parenting. And just to quickly recap that phrase, intelligent little sinners, what we said last week is when we want to have a good expectation of what we can expect from raising children, how they're going to behave, what's going to come out, what we're going to be looking at, it's those three words. In one aspect, children are more intelligent than we can ever know. They have the ability to comprehend more than we think they can, to understand more than we think they can from a young age. And like we said, the biblical age for maturity is 13 years old. 13 years old. And for us, that's so difficult to comprehend. It's so difficult for us to to think about that. A 13-year-old that's mature, making life decisions, taking responsibility for themselves. Even now, just again as I'm repeating that, It just seems so far-fetched. Why? Because the world is constantly lowering the standard for humanity in general, but specifically for kids. It was 13, then it was 16, then it was 18, then it was 21. And because we believe that we treat our children that way and then they behave that way. Children are always a product of how we raise them, the expectations that we set, how we treat them, and what we communicate to them. So in one aspect, they're more intelligent than we can ever know, emotionally and intellectually, to understand certain things. And as parents, we don't have to define things from a young age as bad hearts. We can explain to them concepts like jealousy, selfishness, anger, rejection. My two kids were two and three years old when they understand the difference between selfishness, manipulation, jealousy. And when they were busy doing that, specifically Vian, the youngest one, who liked to manipulate a lot, I can just ask him at the moment, what are you busy with? And then he will say, manipulasi. And what's going to happen if you continue with that? He also knew the answer to that question as well. And then he stopped and he changes his voice to his normal voice and speaks in a normal way. So they're capable of understanding these things. But like we said, just before we set the bar too high, we also have to realize the other two points. They are still little, and they are still sinners. And in the one hand, in one moment, they comprehend something and they do something where you think to yourself, man, I didn't think that was possible. And five minutes later, they do something else, which hopefully we didn't teach them. Like we said, you don't have to show them if your brother irritates you, this is how you kick him. They'll figure that out on their own. This is how you bite someone. This is how you hit someone with a toy. They will figure that out on their own. They have the capacity for that. Why? Because they are born in sin. They are sinners and they need of grace and salvation, just like we were. And that remain little. So if we have that constantly before us, we'll have a good expectation of what to expect and also a good vision for how we can raise them as children. And to quickly recap, last week we spoke about the ability and the willingness to love well. Like I said, I think this is many times something that we skip when it comes to parenting. Everybody wants well-behaved kids. Whether you're a Satanist, 
Whether you, I don't know what you're busy with in this world, doesn't matter what your religion is, who you're busy worshiping. If you go to someone and you ask them, hey, if you tell your kid to do something, do you want them to say, yes, dad, I'll do that now? Yes. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants children that are obedient. But before we get to that step, we need to ask ourselves the question, but do we really have the ability and the willingness to love them well? And firstly, that needs to define a couple of things. What does it mean to love well? And like we said, the world's definition of love is not only wrong, but it's in contrast to the biblical definition of love. It's the exact opposite. Where worldly love is defined as tolerating someone's behavior and allowing them to do what they want to do. The Bible calls that lawlessness. It's the very core of sin. Replacing God with ourselves. We are now the king of our hearts. We are the king of our lives. And we want to do as we please. Not as God says. Whereas the biblical definition of love is to love God with everything in us. That is the best thing that we can desire for ourselves. It's the best thing that we can desire for someone else. And to instill that into our children is the best thing we can ever do. And so on the one hand, we might say that we are investing a lot into our children and we are doing a lot. But if it's not God as the main point, then it's not biblical love. It would not be very loving if we raise our children to be successful in their jobs and they have their two cars and they go on their vacation once a year and they have their 1.9 kids while they live in their little house, but they don't know God. That's not loving them well. The end result won't be that. Many times we, like the Israelites, are more invested in getting the things of God than getting God Himself. And like we said in this Sad story in Deuteronomy 6 where Moses tells the Israelites, listen, this is the things that you should do so that you not only go into the land, but you still worship God. And we had a generation focused on the land, but not on the Lord. And the result was a generation that inherited the land, but forsook the Lord. And we see that happening around us again and again. Each generation more biblically illiterate than the next. Why? Because it's just not a priority. Parents don't have the willingness neither the ability to love well. And again, if we do not invest everything we have into our child's spirituality and them knowing God, then we don't have the willingness. And like we said, we can apply the same thing to discipleship, to desire truly a godliness for those around us and to invest that into their lives and into our own is really the ability and the willingness to love ourselves and those around us well. And tonight we're going to look a bit more of the practical aspects on how we can create a place where it's really true to say, like the title is tonight, no place like home. No place like home. And the truth is, in our generation in time, it might be a nice saying, but for most people that's not true. Well, at least in a positive sense. Some people think in the negative sense, there's no place like home. That was rough. No rest, no security. A lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot of selfishness that we associate many times with the homes that we grew up in. And one thing that I want to say before we pray and dive into this topic tonight is who here are parents tonight? See a couple of hands. Some of us, who plans to be parents? It's awkward now. Yes, we plan to be parents. Let me just say something for those of us who are not yet parents. I said those, I'm a parent, so let me exclude myself there. For those of you who said that you're not parents yet, 
one of the, how can I say, saddest things, but also greatest realities in the life of most parents is the following phrase, I wish I knew that sooner. If only I knew that then. If only I did that then. And so the great privilege of those of us sitting here tonight that do not have kids is that that does not need to be true. You can know now. You can see now. And you can have these truths now so that when the time comes we are already prepared and we know what to put into place so that we can be what we should be for our kids. Amen? So let me pray for us and then we jump in. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that when it comes to us, those around us, Lord, our kids, we know that we are not here tonight, Lord, to convince you, Father, to give us the ability or the willingness to love them well. You are willing and able, Lord, to do a mighty work. The question is, are we, Lord, are we willing, are we able? And we pray, Lord, that through the gospel, Father, you might do a mighty work in us, Lord. That we, as Scripture says, no longer live for ourselves, but for you, Lord, who for our sake died and was raised again. May we remove ourselves, Lord, from the throne of our hearts and give you, Lord, your rightful place. As A.W. Tozer says, Lord, we don't have peace in our hearts because you are enthroned there no longer. We were made to worship you, Lord. You were made to be king of our hearts. And we acknowledge, Lord, that while that's something easy to sing, Father, it's something difficult to live out. And we need you, Father, the grace of the gospel and the work of Christ to come and do a work in us. And thank you, Lord, tonight that we can be confronted with the truth, Lord, that we can be changed by it. And I pray, Lord, that we not justify ourselves, Father, when we feel the, the need to, when we feel the tension, Father, but we allow you, Father, to come and do a deep work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, tonight we're going to be practical. Last week was a bit of a hot encounter, if we can call it that. If you weren't here, please go and listen to that. It's very foundational to what we're going to do here. Because otherwise we're going to go through this. And next week we're going to look at discipline and we're going to hear all of these things. But we're still not going to apply it as we should because we didn't have the willingness to do the introspection to see whether God really did work in our hearts that produces a willingness and ability in us to do that well. Amen? So we want to be practical so that our children can say one day that there's truly no place like home. And to quickly be a little bit like Henny, for those of you who don't know Henny, he was a pastor here last year uh, before we sent him to Cape Town to go and lead a church there, a very pastoral guy, but he would have done the following. So there where you are, won't you just for a moment reflect on the house that you grew up in. You can close your eyes if that helps. Just imagine your house, the place you grew up, the people that raised you. You're walking into your house, you're seeing the living room, you're seeing the kitchen, maybe there where you used to gather or there where you didn't. In your room. What are the memories that comes to mind when you think of the home you grew up in? What are the things that stood out? What are the feelings that you feel? 
For some of us, the moment we think about home, there's like a deep sigh of relief. And we imagine the house and there's this peace, safety, place where I can be myself, place where I'm heard, place where I'm understood, love, accepted, regardless of my performance. Maybe for some of us, blank, nothing. It's just a neutral space. Just something like most things in life that caused me to be where I am now. Which is not ideal, but better than most. Maybe for some of us, there's immediately a pounding of the heart. As you feel kind of a pressure setting in. And you know, yes, there was times of acceptance and celebration, but only when we did well. Kind of a performance-based mentality, conditional acceptance. There's anger, there's selfishness, there's a lot of manipulation maybe. And all of these things come to mind. And now the next question, why? What caused you to feel that way? Whether it's the good feelings or the bad ones, what caused you to feel that way? Very important for us to reflect on these things and answer these questions. Why? So that when there was good things and good feelings and a good way of life that we can be intentional to ensure that that's the same for our houses that we are creating and building now. And where it's a bad experience and a negative one, how can we make sure that that is not the case for us and our children and the house that we are building now? You see, because something that's so interesting for me is that we as human beings, on the one hand, have a capacity to see if we continue to do this, that will be the result. It makes sense to us in certain areas of life. If I continue to sow this seed, that's going to grow. Makes sense. And we're very intentional to make sure that we continue to do these things so that that will be the result. And in other areas, it's as if we do not understand if we continue to do this, it's also going to have a result. It's also going to bear fruit. It's going to produce something. God says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. It will always be the case. And if something is produced, there's a reason for that. That seed was sown. That will always be the case. One of the maybe greatest examples of this is a generation of people who grew up with a follow, menta follow mentality. Kids must be seen and not heard. I don't know if you've ever heard that. A whole generation and then 10 years later, they are surprised that their teenagers don't speak to them. I don't know what's going on in the life of my kid. They share nothing with me. I don't know what's going on in their heart. I don't know what's going on in their life. They don't talk to me. Why? Because we set that standard. They should be seen, not heard. Now we are surprised that all of a sudden, this is the result. And one of the saddest things for me is when parents come to me and say, listen here, Brown, my child's not speaking to me. But I have no idea what's going on in their lives. I have no idea what's going on in their heart. To which I ask the question, besides the fact that they call you mom and dad, why should they? Why would they? What would give you that indication? What did you deliberately and intentionally do that would make you think that was going to be the case? How did you respond when they were small, when they spoke to you? When they asked you questions, when they were curious, how did you facilitate those discussions? What did you intentionally establish in your house that would make you assume that you have 
that type of conversation with your child. Many times, you know, as kids grow up and all of a sudden our perfect little plan that we have for them, we want them to go study this and to go do this and everything seems to go well and everything seems to be on track and we're investing a lot in them and all of a sudden they get that group of friends or that boyfriend or that girlfriend. And all of a sudden we scared, May, this is going to derail the plans. And now we hope that they start to pray and they start to read their Bible so that God can show them that these friends or this girlfriend or that guy isn't good for them. And the frustration is there. Why are they not praying? Why are they not reading their Bible? Same question. What would make you think that they're going to do that? What did you intentionally do? How did you intentionally lead that that would be the result? What seed did you sow that's going to bear this fruit? Because it's not going to happen automatically. I don't know if there's any grandparents here tonight. But also very important for us to have kids. There needs to be a conversation with our grandparents as well. Because they have the ability to either undermine or to establish what we are trying to teach our kids. They can either teach them that this thing of parenting is the same everywhere. That rules apply everywhere. There's people that respect that authority and they need to do what mom and dad says regardless of where they are. That kind of like the first channel that needs to establish that. Or they can undermine that completely. And sometimes I hear the things grandparents do and say to their children and I ask them, are you pausing for a moment? Are you realizing what you're saying? What you're teaching? What you're modeling? Because many times, you know, you hear the saying that grandparents, it's not their work to raise the kids, they're there to spoil the kids. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. They are there to spoil. I'm like, I'm fine if you want to undermine the authority of the parents, but if you are okay with someone else with an ulterior motive doing the same, because you model that to the kids, is that okay? Because always our intentions are most pure. We love them. We just want to spoil them. And now we teach them stuff like, it's okay, just... Don't tell your mom and your dad. Is it okay if someone else does something else, shows them something else, and also tells mom and dad, just don't tell mom and dad? Are, are we realizing what we're teaching, what we're modeling, what we're showing? Or when mom and dad drops the kids and say, hey, don't let them watch this, don't let them eat that, don't let them do these things. And then you do it in any case, and when mom and dad comes and picks them up, you say, mom, did they do this, this, or that? No, they didn't. Again, modeling to the kids that it's okay. If we just lie to the parents, we can do whatever we want. So just go and have that chat as well. It's always a bit confrontational, but it needs to be had. There was this article me and my wife read a couple of years ago. It's called The Cost of Free Babysitting. The Cost of Free Babysitting. Allowing people who are family but are not necessarily safe to look after your children because it's free. The cost. Mentally, emotionally, what you're trying to build into your kids gets undermined. It's a heavy cost that we need to pay. The cost of free babysitting. But nonetheless, in light of these things, let's see what we can do and apply in this passage of Scripture. And one thing I really hope that we see tonight as we read through this is the simplicity of what God calls us to do. For parents to breathe a sigh of relief. You're not going to walk out of here with the practical things and kind of be, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to apply this. I don't know what to do. It's fairly simple. 
The question just comes down to do we have the willingness to apply these simple principles in our lives to ensure that we truly have no place like home. Let's read together Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 to 25. Now this is the commandments, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that I might go well with you, and that you might multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to give Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Beautiful passage of Scripture. And I really want to encourage us to go and make time to go and sit with God and to work through this slowly and to really ask God to come and form conviction. Because many times we hear something, but it doesn't transform us. Why? Because we are not what we know. We need God to come and make something reality in us, to go and sit down with Him and spend time with God to come and form conviction so that we can truly live this out. I mean, if we had to apply every sermon that we have ever heard, it would be good. Amen except for the bad ones, those we leave aside. But beautiful passage of Scripture, and there's a, a lot of repetition, but mainly summed up, God says, love me with everything in you because that is the best thing you can do for yourself. 
That is good for you. And fear me by keeping my commandments because that's good for you. Teach them diligently to your children because it's good for them. It's the best thing you can do for them. Testify of the goodness of God because it's good for you and it's good for those who hear. Amen. And to get practical, let's turn again to the core verses of this scripture, verse 4 to 6. It says the following. Last week we spoke about living this out so that we are what we want our children to be. So that we do not ask of them something that we are not ourselves because that will provoke them to anger. But to first be what we desire them to be. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. With other words, that we should love God with everything in us and it will be seen in the fact that we obey God willingly. We obey God willingly with everything inside of us. It's not just our actions that align with the Word of God. It's our emotions, it's our intellect, it's our will. It's every single part of us that's obedient to God and follows God willingly. Those three words, heart, soul, and might, means will, intellect, emotions, actions. In the Greek, in Mark 12, verse 30, when Jesus repeats it, He says the same thing, but He adds the word, and all your mind. It's implied here. The Hebrew word is a bit more rich. But with everything in us, we should obey God willingly. And that's the same thing that we should teach diligently to our children. It's not just behavior modification. It's not just teaching and instilling something in them that makes them act differently. No, there's a willingness so that everything inside of them also wants to obey and follow God. And so that their will, their emotions, their intellect, and their actions follow God. And we need to disciple them in all of those areas. The greatest area where there's no discipleship happening in the house and in the church in general is emotional intelligence. Man, we are people that lack emotional intelligence. People don't know even how to express what they feel. We're many times good to express in how we think other people make us feel, but not with the emotions inside of us. And we need to grow in these areas. We need to teach these things to our children as well. They will not teach themselves. In other words, it's not good to tell them because I say so. A little bit more definition and explanation is needed. Imagine we had Leviticus with all of the rules and laws, and there's also some you know, good passages where God actually explains to us why this is good for us. But imagine that was kind of taken out as well. We have Deuteronomy here, which is repeat law. And then we had Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. And then we only had one other verse in the Bible, which is because I, the Lord, say so. It's not God's heart. He doesn't do that. Also not when it comes to discipline. And we'll look a little bit more on that next week. But it's not behavior modification. It's not because I say so. But there needs to be a willingness so that they understand willfully, intellectually, emotionally what God wants of them so that they can obey God with their actions as well. And in light of that, let's look at the practical things that we can do and apply in our lives, assuming that we have the ability and the willingness to love them well. Here in verse 7 to 9, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Verse 89 is just a repetition of verse 4 to 6. And everything we do is based on God and His Word, is for God and His words. That's the vision, that's the foundation, that's what we busy with, that's what marks this house. That's our identity, God and His Word, that's what we are busy with constantly. And again, basically summed up here as well, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, it means as often as you can. As much as you can. Why? Because we only get one chance to raise our kids. I don't know if we understand that. There's no repeat, there's no redo, there's no undo. We only have one chance to raise our kids and we only have so little time. There's a story about a famous coach in America, the team that he coached that won multiple championships and on their way to the next championships, a couple of weeks before the championship games, he all of a sudden quits his job. And the media reaches out and they ask him, why did you quit your job at the pinnacle of your career on your way to the next championships? Why now? And he says, after one practice, he was on his way home. And as he entered his home, he wanted to go into his boy's room to go and kiss him goodnight. And he realized that his boys have become men and he've missed it completely. And that realization hit him like a brick. Quit his job so that he can spend the time that's still there to invest and to see if we can make up for lost time. Nowhere is make a good use of the time for the days are even more applicable than here. Redeem the time. Make the best use of the time. Imagine we had an hourglass in our rooms. I mean, our kid gets born that sand starts to run through the glass. And we can see how much time is left and we can see how much time has already run through the glass. And asking ourselves, that time that has already been spent, have we really used that well? Have we truly been diligent? Did we make the best use of the time we had to instill it into our kids? Because the older they get, not only do we have less time, but that which we didn't instill is difficult now. Because like we said last week, if we don't have the willingness to raise our kids, someone else will. That's the enemy. He's more than willing, but he has no capacity to love. And I can promise you that he's not lazy. And his agenda is everywhere. And we can see it in the world around us. This is life or death. We don't have time to waste. We need to redeem the time and do the best that we can. And now quickly, a couple of questions for those of us who have kids. For those of us who don't, you can maybe think about the people in your small group, some of the guys that you're walking a road of discipleship with, just to keep it interesting. But how well do you know your kid? What is their favorite color? You can write it down, maybe make a note. Go and ask them later and see how well you've done. What are their favorite color? What's their favorite animal? What's their favorite song? And obviously, differing in age, the questions, depth and so might also differ. And the reality thereof. But what's their favorite song? What's their favorite band? And what's the song about? What does the band write about? Because that'll also give you an indication about what's going on in the life of your child. Why do we listen to music? Why when that specific song comes, it's in repeat for a couple of weeks? Because it speaks to something that we're experiencing at the moment. Something of it's relevant to us. 
And so when it comes to the music they listen, the bands that they follow, that will give us an indication of what's going on in their lives. Maybe some of us are like, yes, what do I listen to now that you say that? <laughs> what are they singing about? Some of us listening to romantic songs. Hopefully it's not the one that got away, but hey, you never know. But what is it about? What are they passionate about? What really gets them excited? What are they passionate about? What is their greatest fear at the moment? And for some of us, our kids are small, you know, so the greatest fear is if it's going to rain tomorrow because that will be devastating. Can't play outside. I remember Vian, my smallest, he just wants to play outside, so it's devastating for him if it constantly rains. Man, it's the worst thing. The thing that he's most excited about is sunshine day so that he can play outside. The thing that he's most fearful of is when it's raining because then he can't play outside. And I remember there was a one couple of weeks where for a couple of days it just continued to rain. Man, this guy got irritated. And he comes to me, Dad, why is it constantly raining? And I tell him, no, it's because Jesus is making it rain. Because he loves us. There's people that need rain. That's why he does that. And if a father in a drought somewhere and his kid asked him the same question, why doesn't it rain? The answer is the same. Because God loves us. He wants to do something through this. We need to experience and know something. But this is God's love. I tell him, well, you can go and ask Jesus to make it stop so that it can be a sunshine day tomorrow. You can go and pray about it. No, okay, he's going to go pray about it. And after a while, he comes back and I see the guy still irritated. And I asked him, what now? What's wrong? He says, no, Jesus says no. And the next day it also rained. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there, but he said, Jesus in here. But that for him is, is the biggest thing. What is the greatest victory recently? Something that really meant something to them. Man, is a victory, a celebration. And also, how did you facilitate that? What happened? How did you respond? Were they the only ones excited about what happened? Did you join in? The celebration. But what are they excited about? What recently was the biggest disappointment? How did that make them feel? How did you facilitate that process? What do they pray about? Do they pray? You see my older Shailen, he's always full of energy and he just wants to do a lot of stuff. But I can kind of decipher what's the things that he really wants because he prays about those things. Even if it's worldly things, even specific places that he wants to go on vacation now. So recently he had the courage to go under the water. He wants to put his head under the water now, so now we must go to Bypass again because there's a little pool there and he wants to go diving. He wants to go now. And I'm pretty sure tonight when we pray, it's going to come up. See if Jesus has a little bit pool with the parents to see if he can get us there. But he's going to pray about that because that really matters to him. But what do they pray about? Interesting questions that we need to ask. Okay, now for the practical things. Well, let's just see ourselves. These are very simple things. And in each one of these aspects, we need to show them, teach them, and then help them apply it. Same with this passage of Scripture. It says, hear, O Israel, listen, listen, hear the words. Love the Lord. Be careful to do them. In the same way, we model it to our children, we teach it to our children, and then we help them apply it. Same thing with discipleship. We show, we say, 
we support and we send. Amen? So in all of these, we need to do that. First thing, just on a side note before we dive into these, how can we show someone just on a practical note that we love them and we know that they exist? Easy question. Whenever you see them, stop what you are doing and acknowledge them. Amen? That's a good place to start. When you, you know, some people, kind of the question that, what happened when you came home? The front door opened because I opened it. That's about it. Nobody came to greet me. Nobody stopped to that. They were busy doing this. Everybody was just wherever they were. We don't do that. If you really love people, if you really acknowledge them, and if we really want to show them that they exist, we stop what we are busy with. We acknowledge them. We greet them. We hug them. We kiss them. How was your day? Amen? When we wake up, when we go and fetch them at school, when they come home, whatever the case might be, husband and wife, same thing's true. Amen? We leave what we are doing. We don't yell from wherever in the house. We are, hello. No, we leave what we are doing. We go to them. We greet them. Why? Because we love them. And we want them to know that they exist. Amen? Okay, now to quickly run through these practical things we'll get to. When we walk, by the way, at the end, it is the inevitable outflow of the other three. But the first one, when you sit in your house, when you sit in your house, quick question, when did you sit in your house? You are sitting in your house, where are you sitting, what are you busy doing? As a family, you are sitting in your house, where are you sitting, what are you busy doing? Because the Bible is not speaking about watching TV here. There weren't any TVs then. This is speaking about us sitting together, eating together, looking at one another. No other form of distraction or entertainment. We are there with ourselves eating some food. And this at least has to happen. There needs to be other times of sitting down as well when you have more than one kid. Individual sessions as well when you sit down. And this speaks about emotional intelligence. Knowing where we are, what's going on, and to guide them through emotional processes, help them understand their emotions and what to do with them. When we sit down and eat together, why? What happens there? We ask the question, how was your day? What did you do? What did you experience? And again, based upon age, will determine the depth of the conversation. Amen? But how was your day? What did you experience? And even though they are young and they can't really speak yet, these are some things that you want to enforce already. A foundation that you want to build already. So as quickly as they can comprehend what's going on, this is the reality in front of them. This is what they're busy seeing. This is what we're modeling to them. Sitting together, speaking to one another. Husband and wife, same thing. This needs to happen. A lot of people struggle with intimacy issues and they can't communicate. Just recently I had a couple come see me because of communication. And I asked them, okay, when do you sit? When do you make intentional time to communicate with one another? No, we don't. So it's not a communication issue. That's the issue. It's not that you cannot communicate. It's that you don't make intentional time to communicate. Why? We are unwilling to. We need to be confronted with that reality. If we wanted to, we would have. It's as simple as that. But now we need to start with that as individuals as well, before the kids are there. How was your day? What did you experience? What did you do? And then we show them how that's like and what to do with the emotions that we experience. If it's good emotions, we celebrate that. There's worship, there's a thanking to God about the good things that we experience through the day. If there were bad things, we ask God to come and help us and guide us through that. If forgiveness needs to happen, we guide them in that process. If we need to forgive others, we pray for us so that we can have the grace to do that tomorrow, to go to that person and to apologize. 
And again, here we need to model this. We need to show them how this looks like before we ask them to do the same. And just to quickly remind us again of verse 20 to 22. It says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, I don't know who taught us that we cannot share the struggles in our lives with our kids. I don't know where we got that from. I don't know who taught us that. I don't know why we think that way, because that's not biblical. You see, who's struggling in this passage here? And who's the hero of the story? The parents were struggling. God is the hero. And many times we cannot share our struggles with our kids and we cannot share our testimonies with them because the gospel has not freed us from our pride and our selfishness. And we want to be the heroes in their eyes. We are not. God is. God is the hero here. And again, the world is surprised. Men specifically, they don't share their emotions. They don't really tell us how they feel. And they just want to be strong and they just want to pretend that everything is okay. And the biggest victim of suicide is men. Why? They were taught that. Men don't cry. Men are not emotional. We don't share those type of things. And because that was modeled, that's what you get. That's the result. Why do we expect anything different? If we want our kids to tell us what's going on in their lives, let's set the example and let's do that first. Amen? We were slaves in Egypt. I'm not the hero of the story here. God led us out with a mighty hand. I said, when we sat there around the table and we say, how was your day? We start. Ask my wife. My wife asks me. And if I didn't have a good day, I say, no, it wasn't a good day because of this and that. I experienced this. And I was angry at that person. And then we model that. Let's pray for dad so that God can come and help so that he can come forgive. Amen. If it's a good thing, we celebrate and we thank God for it. And if there was something that I did wrong, then I say that as well. It wasn't a good day because I actually did this wrong. And you know what? Tomorrow I need to go and apologize to someone. And then your wife can say, hey, let's pray for dad so that he has the grace to go tomorrow and apologize to that person. And the next day we speak about that. How did that go? Amen. And here we need to teach our kids emotional intelligence. Many times they won't even know what they're experiencing. We need to guide them through that. That's why I say sometimes around the table, sometimes individual sessions where they sit on your lap and you explain, hey, what happened today? What did you experience? What did you go through? No, the kids teased me and they ran away from me and they say they didn't want to play with me. Okay, how did that make you feel? Now you need to explain to them the difference between anger, jealousy, rejection. You need to help them see what they are feeling, what they are experiencing to guide them through that. Okay, let's pray about that. Why don't people pray about their feelings? Nobody taught them to. It's as simple as that. Your kids will pray about what you teach them to pray about. Amen? Also be very careful what you pray about in front of them too the whole time. Just these little rhymes. Many times we teach our kids that God is just somewhere wanting to bless us. You know, if you need something, then you go pray to you. Because that's the only thing we pray for. Lord, we pray tonight that we might have a good night's rest. And we pray for healing. And we pray for protection. And that you would bless tomorrow. Amen. Okay, but where's, where's kingdom first? Where's God is king? Where's saying sorry for sin? Where's repentance? Where's forgiveness? Where's all of these things? We need to model this to our kids. Amen? And then you need to facilitate them through that process. This is what you're experiencing. This is what you're feeling. 
Let's pray for God to come and heal our hearts and let's forgive the other person. And after forgiveness, now we need to turn this around. This is a teaching moment. Now we need to ask them, okay, so you experienced this when they did that. Let me ask you a question, my son. When you do that to other kids, do you think they feel the same? Yes. They also experience that. And why would someone want to do this? Why does someone act in this way? It's because they don't know any better. And they might not experience love and acceptance at home. They might be unsure about themselves and that's why they're acting this way. So let's, let's not get angry. Let's have compassion. And let's pray for them. We don't know what other people teach their kids. Amen? So that we can raise them well and teach them about emotional intelligence. To deal with the things that they experience. To have compassion on others. And to teach them that their actions will also have an effect in the lives of those around them. The younger the better. Amen? And now because we do this, one day when my kid is 15, 16, he comes home, he tells me how he feels. Why? Because we've always done that. It's nothing new. We've done that for years. Why would it be any different now? I share my stuff with him. He shares his stuff with me and we pray together. That's how it works. It's how it always works. It's the seed we sow. It's the fruit we'll see. Amen? And if you say, you the schedule, the schedule started. I don't know where we're going to have time for this. You make time. You need to compromise on something because we will not compromise on our kids. Why? Because we have the willingness and the ability to love them well. Amen? Now going back to verse 7. When you lie down, when you rise. This speaks about teaching and discipline. Time in the Word, time in prayer. And again, the age will determine the format, the time, the depth that we spend on these topics. But time in prayer, time in Scripture. When we lie down, time for family, Bible study. Or at least as a husband to do this with your kids. Why? Because it's the primary responsibility of the dad to do this. Also as a family, but primarily for the husband. Each and every night. Now, there'll be people that tell you, okay, yes, if you didn't do this already, if you don't have this settled in, let's try maybe every second week and then move to every week. No. We do this or we don't. We set the example or we, or we don't. This is foundational. Why? Because we love them well. This is the most important thing. And like I say, people will drive their kids around the country for sport and for academics. Why won't we do the same when it comes to serving God? If we don't, the reason is we don't want to. It's a gospel issue. We need to love God first before we can teach them to do the same. So we have to read Scripture, explain Scripture, show them how to pray, and teach them how to pray. You know, in our house, sometimes I need to go and refill the diffuser and put some drops in. And when I walk out the door, my kids would say, hey, but we didn't pray and we didn't read Bible yet. And it's not because I have two holy kids that just want to read the Word of God. No, it's just because what, that's what we always do. It's just part of how it works. It's what they always do. Same as they say, we didn't brush our teeth yet. We still need to go and brush our teeth. We still need to go to the toilet. We still need to pray. We still need to read Bible. Why? Because we always do that. This is foundational. This is the main identity of our household. We need to do this well. And you might say as a parent, shucks, but what if they ask me something that I don't know? They kids, you know, what's going to be the chance? 
100% that they will ask you something that you don't know. I can guarantee you that. Whether they are 2 or 12, that's a certainty. And then what do we do? What do we do when they ask us the question that we don't know? We just come up with the best answer and kind of make as if we know. No, don't do that. We tell them, I don't know. I will go and see for you. I will go and look. I will go and find out and I will come and tell you tomorrow. And then you better tell them the next day or the following day. If your kid asks you a question and you say to them, I'll go and see, and you never get back to them, why? You don't want to. You need to be confronted with that reality. It's the moral of the story. It's the truth. It's the reason why we do stuff. And also not to Google and see the first answer. That's dangerous. You know, some people need to be banned from Google. You need to have a Google block. You're not allowed to Google and search because man, the stuff that people comes up with. But you go, you find out, and you tell them. Why? Because we love them well. We know how important it is. When we lie down, when we rise, to at least, at least before we rush out of the house as a family, pray together. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't even have to be five minutes. But this is essential. We ask God to come and lead us through this day. Lord, we submit this day to you. Please come and lead us and show us what you want to come and do today. Even if it's just that. Even if that's the start. Let's at least do that. Foundational to him. Again, it's not complex. It's not difficult. It's simple things that we can put into place. But at least that before we rush off. But something else that needs to come into play for us, what we are modeling to our children, quiet time. To have quiet time with God. If our kids are an appropriate age to teach them and to help them apply that truth in their own life so that they have personal quiet time as well. And when they are young and they stand up a little bit early that morning, hopefully they find you there. Hopefully that's where they find you. There's nothing more precious for me than being busy with quiet time when my two boys wake up. I sit in the living room because that's where they come so that they can find me there. While Robin is in the room so that she can also have some time to herself and with God. And as they get there and I hear the door going open, I don't think to myself, oh man, can't even have an hour to myself. No, what a privilege that they can see their dad busy with this. I tell them to come and sit next to me. When I'm finished reading, I put them on my lap and I show them, this is how you pray for mom. This is how you pray for your wife one day. This is how I pray for you. This is how I ask God to come and guide our family. What a privilege to model that to our children. Amen. May they find us there. And may we never think to ourselves, man, we don't even have this time to ourselves. What a privilege for our children to see that and to experience that as we lead them and show them how it looks like to follow God. Not perfectly, but intentionally. Amen. And let me tell us this tonight. I'm going to be honest with us. If you say you don't have time for this, but you watch TV, and you go home, you take that thing down, and you throw it away. Listen to me tonight. If there's a night where you don't read the Bible to your children, you don't show them how to pray, but you watch TV, you better remove that thing. You take it down, you throw it away. Why? Because we are now like children that doesn't have the maturity or the discipline to not do things when we don't need to do those things. It's like children that need to study, 
Now we need to take the PlayStation away and the phone away and social media away because they don't have the maturity or the discipline to stop doing, doing those things when it's needed. And many times the same is true for us. You take that thing, you take it down, you throw it away. Do we realize the cost of what we are busy with? Do we realize the cost? For us as individuals, if you don't spend regular time in the Word of God and prayer, but you are constantly watching series and TVs, you throw that thing away. You take it down, you throw it away. You delete the app, you cancel the subscription. Why? Because you don't have the discipline to set it aside when you need to. Amen? And if you say, man, that's a little bit too harsh, I don't know if you can do that, you don't have the ability or the willingness to love yourself or others well. It's a gospel issue. You need to see Jesus Christ crucified. And you need to come to the conclusion that we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him, who for our sakes died and was raised again. And also, is that really how you want to spend your life? Sitting through those things, constantly glued to a screen. Is that really how you want to spend your life? Throw it away. Remove it. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, do what? Count it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Remove these things and do them drastically because there's a cost attached to it. You know, it's one thing if I want to compromise my own spiritual life by doing things, but it's completely different when it comes to the life of my children. We cannot afford to do that. We throw it away. Amen? And then the last one. When you sit, when you walk, by the way, and this for me is my favorite one. To firstly show and model to our kids that everything we do, we do for God. The privilege of explaining them to do everything we do in life, every place we go, every person we meet is an opportunity to glorify God and to serve God. Everything we do, we do for Him. And then also, as we walk by the way, as Jesus did, there's constantly teaching moments. Things that our children see, that they experience, questions that they have. And then we use that teaching moments to point to God. You know, one of the things that frustrates me the most, I want to hit people with a pipe. You know, that's my sinful nature. Is if there's an inquisitive kid that constantly asks questions, how does this work? What about that? How does that work? And they say, just because that's the way it works. One summer. One day says, man, I get irritated with that. Don't do that. They're inquisitive. They want to know. They want to learn. Don't put that fire out. Stir that. That's a good thing for them to be inquisitive, to want to know how stuff works, specifically when it comes to the Bible and questions about God. And I know that there's a certain stage in each kid's life where the only question that they can't, can ask is why. Every single answer you give ends with why. And then you explain, but why? And then you explain, but why? And then you explain, but why? It gets a little bit much, but we continue with that. Why? Because we no longer live for ourselves, but for God who died and was raised again. And the good news for marriage people is that they will go to sleep at night. But then just remember, there's someone else that might be still awake, your husband or your wife. And if they are, then you live for them until they go to sleep. And if you then still want to stay up, then you can do something that you want to do. Amen? Why? Because those are the things that's important to us. The willingness and the ability to love well. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray.
Please, Lord, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. And firstly, Father, just thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you that you have so much grace, so much mercy, Lord. So much patience with us, Lord. Because we are so slow, Father, to comprehend, to understand, to obey. Yet you are good, Lord. And may we firstly acknowledge that tonight, Lord, because it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The goodness of God that produces change. And I pray, Lord, that we, we would be confronted, Lord, with the realities of what we are busy with. As individuals, Lord, as, as couples, as married couples, as parents. Are we happy if our children become who we are? Are we happy if our son marries a wife like us, speaks like our husband the way we do, submits to our husband the way we do? Are we happy if our daughter marries a husband that serves his wife the way we do, treats her the way we do, honors her the way we do, considers her the way we do? Are we happy if their Bible knowledge is where, where ours are, their prayer lives is where ours are? And secondly, do we have the willingness to really prioritize you, Lord, first? Everywhere in our lives, when we sit down, when we go to sleep, when we rise up, when we walk by the way, to use every opportunity to show them to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for every heart, Father, that feels I, I wish I... I did this sooner. How much time has passed? I wonder if it's too late. Thank you, Lord, that we serve a God that can redeem, can heal, can sanctify. And I pray, Lord, that when we see we, we don't get things right, that we would have the humility, Father, to go to our kids, take them by the hand, look them in the eyes and say, sorry. I'm sorry, my son. I'm sorry, my daughter. Forgive me. Because that's also modeling well what it means to follow God. And I pray for the grace, Lord, that we can teach them for the emotional intelligence. I pray for some of us, Lord, that, that struggle with it ourselves. We don't even know what we feel and experience and what to do with it. We call to you, Father, to come and heal and sanctify us so that we can model that to our children. I also pray, Lord, that the way we've seen, we might have modeled the wrong thing, taught the wrong thing, that we don't want to go and forcibly remove or change that and do behavior modification. No, but that you, by grace and wisdom, come and lead and guide us, Father, to diligently sow the right seeds so that the right fruit can come up. And thank you, Lord, that you are willing and able. We ask that you would produce it in us as well. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.